we're continuing our wonder series today and we're taking this all up to uh into december uh before uh, uh christmas uh, we haven't got that many sundays left of this building so uh, uh it's 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 winding down so uh chris already uh, mentioned it but uh we'll, we'll give some more instruction next week kind of just what's going to happen i just want to forewarn you though I think January, February, March is just going to look so different and strange, and it's just going to be very weird. And uh, so just uh, bear with us, uh, just because we're in this moment. And, and, and when I started the church and uh, all church growth experts and church planting experts was like, you got to throw this vision out there. you got to show everybody where you're going and what you're doing and give everyone an exact, like, this is where we're going in like next year, next month and then five years but this is what I've discovered over the like nine years we've been on this church planting journey and and since Generation Church has been in existence is that that man can make his ways but the Lord determines their steps and, and, and the fact is when you're leading, uh, when, when, you're, when you're hearing to the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not give details very often. And so, uh, it, and it's hard because we're people, we want details, right? You want details with your life. You want to know where you're going. Uh, you know, you want to know where you're going with your job, with your career, with your kids, you know. I mean, these days you have to like put your kids on a waiting list for like five years just to get into a preschool. And then it's too late because they're only five years old, right? I mean, you're like trying to plan so much, but this is what I know with the Lord, that the Lord has already determined the steps. And, and, it, and if you walk in, in the Lord's way, then he will, he will show us. And so, but next week we'll give you some, just a little bit more instruction about what we're doing, where we're going and, and, and things like that. So hold tight and uh, we're, we're kind of on it and we're not. And so uh, uh, on that. But so when I was a kid, uh, my mom made us eat at the dinner table every night. We, we didn't have much money growing up. And so uh, a staple in our diets was always we had a potato on every single plate that we had uh, because potatoes in the UK were pretty cheap. Uh, and then we, we, we ranged around some other things. She would always do this like incredible meal um, on, uh, on, on Sunday. But the rest of the time we got a plate and it was before us and we had to eat everything on that plate. My parents even still today, they can be full and there could be something left on the plate. And, and my mom's offering it around, who's going to take it? Who's going to take it? And we're like, mom, we're full. And she's like, well, we can't waste it. So she eats it. I'm like, I don't know what's better, put it in the trash or put it in your belly. But, you know, I mean, she, she just can't waste anything. So we grew up in this household where you had to eat everything on the plate. Uh, and so when I got married, I kind of ballooned like 20 pounds because I was eating everything on the plate and my wife didn't understand. She was like, well, he just must be hungry, so he wants more. So like every, every week, the plates would just get bigger and bigger. In the end, I'm like, babe, stop giving me so much. She said, well, you don't have to eat it. I'm like, I do. I have to eat everything on my plate. Uh, and so we figured that out and, you know, it's like I'm back to normal now. Uh, but, uh, but my mom used to cook some stuff that I liked, but there was a lot of stuff I didn't like when I was when I was cooking and I've got some examples of some things my mom would put um, on the plate and every time I saw it on the plate even before I tasted it I just knew this is going to be a disaster of a dinner together so the first one she would always cook she would cook Brussels sprouts now uh, Brussels sprouts that uh, these days you can get like any vegetable any time of the year uh, but back back then in the in the 80s we couldn't do that so 
Uh, you got Brussels sprouts at a certain time. This was the time of year that the Brussels sprouts started coming on the plate. As soon as I would see Brussels sprouts on the plate, my immediate reaction was, ugh, I don't want to eat that. But now knowing my parents, I had to eat everything on the plate. So this is what I would do. I would, I would, as soon as the plate would come before me, I would hold my nose and I would take the Brussels sprouts, shove as many in my mouth and just swallow it as fast as I can. And, and if you ever watch me eat, you'll always know what I like most on the plate because that's the last thing I leave on the plate. I eat one thing at a time and uh, I always want the, the thing I like most to leave the taste, you know. And so that's kind of how I do it. So the thing I like least, I eat first. And so I would hate Brussels sprouts. Uh, and, and then my, my mom would often uh, then uh, put this on the plate and not this but cooked like this and so this is a, this is a cabbage and uh, I hated cabbage um, and if you uh, uh, if you know anything about British people especially Irish people Irish people like, like a lot of cabbage it's cheap as a lot of it's grown and so we would have cabbage a lot and I would hate it had no taste to it at all I mean it was just like why why, why would we feed this to our kids people I'm like these this tastes disgusting but yeah, my parents would eat it. So after the Brussels sprouts, then I would eat the cabbage because it was it was just not nice at all. Uh, and then my dad loved a, a couple of uh, vegetables. Uh, I don't even know if they ve are vegetables. I think they are. But he would eat them, and I thought we were, they were disgusting. And they're called radishes. And so my mom sometimes would put radishes on the on the plate. Um, you know, sometimes put them in salads and things like that. And my dad would be like, "How can you not like these? These are delicious." And we're thinking, like, my dad has the worst taste buds in the world. Like, who thinks that these are delicious at all? And then one day, like I said, we had a potato on every single meal. One day, my mom brought home an American potato. And this is an American potato. It's called a sweet potato. Because Americans make everything sweet, right? And so put sugar in everything. And I tried it, and I'm like, oh, what did you do to the potato? It's like, it's disgusting. And my mom's like, that's a sweet potato. I'm like, sweet potato? Why make this potato sweet? Potatoes aren't supposed to be sweet. And I hated this thing. And my mom and dad were like, this is delicious. This is great. These American potatoes are wonderful. Uh, and so my mom started incorporating this more and more. And my mom always had a rule that she would never cook separately for, for someone's, you know, taste buds. We all had the same. But she did let me off on the sweet potato that she started just doing a normal potato for me and sweet potato for everyone else. And I hated these things. And, 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 and I was like, why are these things on our plates? These things are disgusting. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the older we get, how our taste buds start to change, right? We often desire less of the sweet, sugary, fast food junk and we start to desire more of the wholesome, rich in vitamin foods. We no longer look at things like Brussels sprouts that our parents put on the plate as our parents trying to poison us. But instead, we start looking at things like Brussels sprouts and radishes and even sweet potatoes and cabbages. And we start looking at it in a different light. And we start to realize that mm, it's actually pretty pleasant. And it's actually good for us as well. We learn that junk food 
which used to taste so bad, so good, is now very bad for us. And if you're like me, I still like junk food once in a while, but I can only take junk food once in a while. It's a change in our taste buds. As our physical body matures, a lot of us, our taste buds mature as well. Some of you, you still have taste buds of acelescence. And so, uh, you know, if you see a cabbage, you're like, you see Brussels sprouts. I work with someone who won't eat anything green. I'm like, I mean, that's just crazy. Why would you not eat anything green? Oh, so you don't like the good stuff, right? You know, the stuff that's healthy for you. But this change in our physical taste buds is true, but it's also true for our spiritual taste buds as well. Our spiritual body, as that matures, and as we mature as believers of Jesus Christ, suddenly changes start happening within us as well. So I grew up in what is known as a traditional Pentecostal environment. And so I went to church with a bunch of people who loved the emotion. We, 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 everything was emotion. If you prayed like with your normal speaking voice, then God wasn't with you. You had to shout when you prayed because that meant God was with you. Preachers couldn't just talk and communicate and have a conversation. We had to shout as loud as we can and determining how much sweat came off our brow, determine how much God was with us that day. That's kind of the environment that I grew up in, this traditional Pentecostal environment where there was... Uh, a, a, a lot of uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit was in, 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 in use. People used to speak in tongues all the time. And then every Sunday night, we would have an altar call and everybody would be at the altar. And if there weren't tears at the altar, then God had not moved in that service that day. That was kind of the environment that I grew up in. And everybody went for that one moment when the hairs on the back of their, of their neck stood up and you felt God. But I call that my spiritual junk food. Because I loved it and it was great, but this is what we didn't do. We didn't eat very many spiritual sprouts or spiritual cabbages or spiritual radishes or spiritual green stuff. Because what would often happen, we would neglect spiritual practices. We would neglect the need to just pray uh, on our own before God or read our Bible or to have a moment of silence and solitude before God. We, We would often neglect the need for spiritual community. We would even neglect at times the need for helping the needy or even sharing the gospel with our neighbors. Because we thought all that matters was coming to a church service where the hairs on the back of our necks stood up. And as I've matured in my faith, and while I still enjoy and love those hair-standing, goosebump, emotional environments of a charged worship service, just as I do love eating the occasional McDonald's cheeseburger or having a donut from Papa, uh, a, a donut from Dunkin' Donuts or eating a pizza from Papa John's. As much as I still love doing that, I've realized my spiritual palate has become more about becoming like Jesus instead of just experiencing Jesus. And this is a problem for a lot of people. A lot of people want to experience Jesus, but they don't want to become like Jesus. 
And the Bible tells us that we are to follow Jesus. We are to imitate Jesus. But yet, so often we neglect the things of Jesus and we just want to experience the spirit of Jesus. And this is what I've discovered in my maturity as I've matured more in my faith, that the more I become like Jesus, in fact, the more I do experience Jesus because Jesus is right beside me. But when my goal is just to experience Jesus instead of follow Jesus, then all I have is junk food and my spiritual body becomes unhealthy because I'm not eating healthy food. This is what we used to do, or even I did as a young boy. And it wasn't intentional, but we started to see other people who did not live their Christian life like we did as second-class Christians. So if somebody couldn't speak in tongues, we're like, well, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Or if someone didn't pray with gusto, well, they're just not anointed. And we used to think this. And it wasn't by choice. It wasn't like we're intentionally doing this. It's just this is what happened and this is what developed. We used to think if a church service didn't have an altar call where people were crying at the front, then they really didn't have Jesus in their church service. And as I've matured, I've realized that while I love my roots, some of the most Jesus-like people I have ever met have a very different demeanor and posture to their faith than I had and the people around me when I was growing up. And while I love that stuff, I've realized that we should never think of ourselves as better than others because others are different. In fact, those differences will often show us and reveal to us what is lacking in our spiritual diet. We should never look at someone as a second-class Christian. Think, I'm more holier than them. I'm better than them because I experienced Jesus in a different way. And this is what happened to the Apostle Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was the spokesman for the church in the day of Pentecost, where all these people started coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He was the face of the new Jesus way that was moving across Jerusalem and Judea. And if anyone should think of themselves as more spiritual or more holy than anyone else, it should be Peter. Peter raised the dead person to life. Peter was the one who said to the crippled man, get up and walk. Peter was the one who got arrested. And when he was arrested, the angels came and opened the prison doors. If anyone should think themselves more holy, it should be Peter. But God brings a man into Peter's life to show him that he wasn't more special than others. He brought a man into his life to show him the actual people that God was trying to reach out to. And this man would come into Peter's life and his worldview would change. His faith would change and his perception of people would change. And so we're going to read a story that's found in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 35. So bear with me a moment. It's going to be pretty long, just this reading. But I think it's important to read it all in one passage. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 10, uh, if not, then you can follow it along on the screen. But this is what it says in Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. 
He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two, his, two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius's messengers were near in the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to the heavens. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, Peter was puzzling over the vision. The Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout, God-fearing man, well respected by all the Jews. The holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day they went with him, with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many were assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or, uh, or unclean. So I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, now tell me why you sent me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon Atana 
who lives in the, near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, uh, and it was good for you to come. Now we are here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And then Peter shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with Cornelius. This was a normal day for Peter. However, this is a day that will change his life forever and will change the course of the church of Jesus Christ forever. For God is not wanting to keep his gospel just for ourselves and our friends. He desires that his gospel be reached out to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. So often we limit God by what we see, by what we feel, by what we believe. But God is bigger than that. And your worldview of God is limited by what you see, what you feel, and what you believe. But God is more knowledgeable. In fact, last week we heard that God can do infinitely more than we can ask or even think. And humans will always limit God by their worldview. But God has no limits. There is no one beyond who God can reach. So just from this story that I read, I want to just pull out very quickly this morning just five things that I see in this story that relate to us as we're living our Christian faith and as a church, as we're moving forward as a church. And this is the first thing I see in this story. Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier, Cornelius is aware of God and he was being changed by God without fully understanding the mystery of God. Let me say that again. Cornelius was aware of God. He was being changed by God without fully understanding the mystery of God. Here is a man who understands there is a God. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us that eternity is in the heart of every man. Cornelius recognizes this and he is pursuing God. He realizes it's not just here on earth. It's not just us. It's just not us human beings. There's a greater power out there. That there is a God out there who who can be reached. And so Cornelius is pursuing God. And as he pursues God, his heart starts to go out to the poor and the needy around him. And so he starts reaching out and and starts helping the poor and helping the the needy. And the more he does that, the more he desires then to connect back with God. God is doing something amazing in Cornelius' life. But there is one problem for Cornelius. He does not know the gospel. He is searching. He is seeking. He is trying to find God, but he doesn't understand God. And I wonder in our lives how many Corneliuses are in the world that we live in. In your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, amongst your friends, how many Corneliuses are there? They sense God. They are led to do good deeds. They even pray. But they just don't fully understand the gospel 
which is the mystery of God. I don't know, you have got so many people tell me, yeah, I pray. You know, it's like, I, I believe in God. But they don't really have an understanding of the mystery of God. They don't have an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They know about Jesus. They know about church. But they've never truly been what Jesus calls born again of the Spirit of God. They've never been changed by Jesus. Let me tell you, there are thousands of these type of people in our towns, in our neighborhoods. People who sense God, who do good, who try to live a good life, but really have no way of challenge, challenging or, or challenging this blind faith. We need to pray for the Corneliuses in our lives. And maybe there's some people who come to mind right now in your life. You know they don't really have faith in Jesus, but they're pursuing God. They don't really have this, this life that has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, but, but, but they believe in God. Those people, we need to pray for them. We need to be aware of what God is doing in their lives. The second thing in this story that I see is this, is that Peter heard from God because he positioned himself before God. Peter heard from God because he positioned himself before God. Peter made spiritual practices a staple of his spiritual diet. It was noontime. Let me tell you, people don't go outside at noon in Jerusalem or Judea. It's too hot. But the Bible tells us it was noontime and Peter was hungry. Let me just give a word of advice. If you want to pray, don't do it when you're hungry. All you'll think about is food. Don't do it after you've eaten either because then you'll just fall asleep, you know. But here's Peter. He's hungry and a meal has been prepared. But this is what he decides. I'm going to go to the roof and I'm going to start to pray. I find it amazing that actually when you take time to stop and stand before God, you actually start to hear God speak. So many people complain that God isn't talking. I just don't know what God's doing. God's not speaking to me at all. But so often we think it's so much more important to stay busy than stay on our knees. And Peter here, he positioned himself before God. Notice he separated himself. People don't go on the roof at daytime. It'd be like you going out onto your deck you know, when it's 25 degrees outside and just sitting there. And if you live in a townhouse community, you can see everyone else's decks, right? No, no one else is sitting out there at that time, except for the guy who's not allowed to smoke in his house because his wife won't let him, right? That's the only guy. He separated himself. Sometimes you just have to step out of the courtyard of our lives and knock on the door of God's throne room and ask for a private audience with God. Peter positions himself before God, and what happens? God starts to speak. And as God starts to speak, he starts to work in Peter's life. And I want to just challenge you and, and, and for you to answer before God today, when was the last time that you separated yourself from the noise and asked for a private audience with the King of Kings? Because that's when we hear from God. 
So we see that Cornelius was aware of God. God was changing him, but he didn't fully understand the mystery of God. And then there is Peter who, who, who positions himself before God and, and God starts to speak to him. And then as we follow the story through, we start to see this. We see that God will bring people into your life who will break down your theological inaccuracies. God will bring people into your life who will break down your theological inaccuracies. We all have them. Beliefs about God and living the Jesus way that actually may be a little theologically inaccurate. inaccurate. Even those inaccuracies may be stopping you from living fully for Jesus Christ. You don't need to be a scholar or a theologian. Uh, you don't need to be a scholar to be a theologian. You don't need a degree in theology to call yourself a theologian. For we are all theologians. Because we all have our own perspective and idea of God and how we interpret scriptures. But this is what I guarantee you today. And you may not be happy with me saying this, but I know it in my life and I know it in your life. I guarantee you this today. Your theology has many inaccuracies. The people who say I'm totally theologically correct are the people you've got to watch out for. Because we all have theological inaccuracies. Peter had theological inaccuracies. In fact, he thought that the Jewish law still applied to the followers of Jesus. He didn't realize that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so he's still living out the law. And in the law, there were certain animals and things that you could not eat. And so he has this vision and a blanket comes down in a vision like a picnic blanket. He's probably getting all excited because he's hungry. He's like, I'm dreaming of food. I'm dreaming of food. And then suddenly on the blanket, there's a snake. And then there's a lizard. And there may even be a horse. And then there's a pig. And he starts to see plants and animals on this blanket that you just cannot eat as a Jewish person because it is against the Jewish law. It is not kosher to eat that stuff. And Peter had kept his Jewish law with him. He was following Jesus, but he was still keeping the Jewish law. And Jesus comes to say that you've been freed of the law. What you thought was unclean, and you thought was sinful, I've made clean. Now you can eat this stuff. And now it's not that Peter was going to come down from the rooftop and go out and say, hey, let me go and see if I can find a snake to kill and eat, see what it tastes like. He wasn't going to do that. God was showing him a vision. He was showing him a lesson that he was learning. For the Jews believed that only the Jewish people were called of God and could have a relationship with God. They believed that God's love was just really for the Jewish people, but God was showing to Peter, no, it's much more than that. God's love and grace reaches out to all people. God was showing Peter the Gentiles who were non-Jewish people were not to be on the outside, but would be on the inside. And what the Holy Spirit was doing within Peter was showing him his theological inaccuracies to prepare Peter for what was about to happen.
The Holy Spirit will come if you allow him to break down your inaccuracies. If you allow yourself to stop to listen to the Spirit speaking and let him challenge your faith. This is what I know in my life. I've had many theological stances that I've realized were inaccurate. And I've shifted on some issues over time and as I've matured. But the real change that's happened in my life is this. Now I don't see people, or when I see people, I start to see people that God loves, that God cares for, that God has called. Start to see people as children of God. Where often I used to think myself better or more holy than those people. And now I'm realizing I'm not. We're just children of God. And this is what happens with your theological inaccuracies when you allow the Holy Spirit to speak. He starts revealing where you've got it wrong. And this is what happened with Peter. So as we continue through the story, so then Peter comes down from the roof and these men are there. And I find it interesting because he says, he says, I will go immediately. But hey, let's stay the night and go the next day because he was hungry, you know. He wanted to do a Chick-fil-A run, you know. I mean, it was just like, yeah, let's just wait until I go. But the next morning he gets up and he goes with the men and he goes to Cornelius's house. Notice he didn't tell Cornelius to come to him. He went to Cornelius's house and he went there and I love what Cornelius says. He says, tell me the message you have from God. This is what I know. People are hungry for the gospel. People are hungry for the gospel. If you serve it with love and not arrogance, people will taste it. Brussels sprouts. I remember coming in from school and I could just smell them. They were boiling on the stove and it's just like, oh. Why did I come home from school? The stench of the house was everywhere. It was like, Mom, why are you cooking rotten vegetables? And then just putting them in your mouth, it's like they tasted worse than they smelled. It was just horrible. About 10 years ago, I was at a restaurant and someone said, should we order the Brussels sprouts? I'm like, no way. No way. No, 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 no. They do them really good at this place. I'm like, no way. I hate Brussels sprouts. You can order them for the table. That's fine. So they did. And they came to the table. And I looked at them. I was like, that doesn't look like Brussels sprouts to me. They look a little burnt. And the person who was at the table, they were like, no, they roasted them. You should try them. I'm like, no. I'm not trying them. They're disgusting. Brussels sprouts are horrible. They're disgusting. No, no, you should try them. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, before I eat any other food, I'll try one. And I tried it. And I was like, oh, this doesn't taste like a Brussels sprout. This actually tastes pretty good. Let me just try another one just in case. And now I'm at a place 10 years later where if I'm in a restaurant and I see Brussels sprouts on the menu, I'm like, that's 
get the Brussels sprouts. In fact, I've even got to a place where my wife has figured out a way that I like to eat radishes. If you go to Outback and you get the sweet potato, the loaded sweet potato, it's pretty darn good. Cabbage, well, it's all right. But this is what I've figured out. You don't boil Brussels sprouts. You can if you want, but I'm not coming to your house for dinner if you do. But if you roast them, I'm going to be there and I'm going to eat them. And as believers of Jesus Christ, we always have to be stretching the boundaries of how we serve the gospel to people. Because this is what's happened. There's people in your neighborhood, there are friends of yours, there's family members of yours. All they know of church is boiled Brussels sprouts. But really what you're offering, you're offering the same nutrition. But when Jesus comes, it's like he roasts them and they suddenly taste better again. And that's the problem. There's so many people with past hurts, church hurts, and they don't want anything to do with church. They've seen stuff on the news. They see, oh, you guys just hate everybody. It's because we're serving boiled Brussels sprouts and the stench is nasty. But if we can just show the world the love of Christ, it's like showing the world roasted Brussels sprouts. Your life is giving off an aroma. And that aroma that your life is giving off, it can be one of two things. It can smell like a rotten vegetable. Or it could smell like you've had something in the slow cooker all day and you've come in the house at the end of the day and you just smell the whole house smelling like a pot roast. And you're just like, oh, I got to eat that thing. And that's what your life can do. Don't treat people as an us and them. Show them love and respect and humility. Peter could have just treated Cornelius as an unclean Gentile. He could have refused to go into Cornelius' home as a matter of spiritual principle. But instead, through the work of the Holy Spirit, he sat down with Cornelius as an equal and he feasted with him. I, I, I met a pastor a few years ago who, uh, who was planting a church and he was telling me about the church. And this is what he kept saying. He kept saying, yeah, we're going to reach the lost people. We're going for the lost people. And he kept saying lost people, lost people. And I stopped him and I says, why do you keep calling them lost people? Well, they're lost. I'm like, if you keep calling them lost people, said, those people are going to hear that terminology and this is what they're going to say, well, I'm not lost. You think you're better than me? Yes, they are lost in terms of the gospel. They, 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 there's this blind faith, but you have to direct them. Don't have an us and them mentality at all. Like they are our project we have to work on. The people that God loves. And this is what we've been called to. We haven't been called to redesign them as a project. We've been called to serve them the love of Christ. So finally and very quickly, the fifth point I see from this story. When we are open to the Holy Spirit's leading, the Holy Spirit will change the lives of the people around us. 
Look what happened. Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, it says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Peter shares the gospel and suddenly the Holy Spirit is moving and empowers the Gentiles just like he did the Jewish believers. I love, I just love that the picture here. The Jewish believers are probably there thinking, well, these are Gentiles. They can hear the gospel, but we're better than them. And then suddenly the Gentiles get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in other tongues. And I just can see the Gentile, uh, the, the Jewish believers, their mouths to the ground. They can do that too. We're not better than them. They're just like us. This is what I know. The Jewish believers didn't care that they had their theological inaccuracies. Suddenly before their eyes, they see God moving. And this is what happens with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is contagious. And when you let him hear in and you listen to his leading and following his path, then watch out for your life starts to cook with so much goodness and the aroma of your life draws people in. It's like walking past a donut store and they got freshly cooked donuts. You know you shouldn't, but the smell just draws you in. The Holy Spirit desires to get hold of the people that you do life with. It's not your job to get hold of them. It's not your job to impress upon them the things of God. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But this is what your role is in all this. You are to listen, you are to welcome, and you are to obey. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit spreads. And the people that you do life with every single day start to experience God. So as we conclude today, I'm going to ask you four questions I want us to pray on. And these are the four questions. Who are the Corneliuses in your life right now? Who are the Corneliuses in your life right now? They're close that they have a passion for God, but they just don't know how to channel that passion for God. Second question I want us to pray on. What theological inaccuracies is God working in your life to correct? What theological inaccuracies is God working in your life to correct? The third question I want us to pray on. Are we positioning ourselves to hear God? Are we positioning ourselves to hear God? And then the last question I want us to ponder on. What can God do through you 
if you are willing to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. I got another slide that just shows all those questions on there. What question is most prevalent to you right now? Maybe you've got a friend who you know is close to Jesus. They just don't understand Jesus. Maybe you're in a place right now where you've been struggling with some theological things that the Holy Spirit is proving to you that maybe isn't right. Maybe you're in this place today and you realize, you know, I I need to start positioning myself before God more to hearing from God. Or maybe you know God has been tugging you and leading you, but you've been stopping the Holy Spirit from moving in your life because you're scared of what the Holy Spirit is going to do. But today is a day that you can start to wonder about what the Holy Spirit can do through you if you, lead, if you follow his leading. So as we close today, we're going to just bow our heads in prayer. And we're just going to pray over these things. Because this is what I know for your life, for the life of our church. God wants to do infinitely more than we can even ask or think. God is taking us places and doing things in our lives and and allowing us to meet people that we couldn't even even imagine even a few years ago. But God is wanting to use you as an instrument to serve not rotten vegetables, but the sweet aroma of His love and His gospel to those that you meet, those that you go to work with, those that you love, those that you interact with. And so, Father God, today we thank you for stories like Cornelius, We thank you that there are people in this world, God, that you are impressing upon. They sense you. They have a heart for you. They are seeking you. They are searching for you. We thank you for those, Lord, who who are impressed to do good works and good deeds. And Father, we pray for those Corneliuses in our lives right now, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, Lord, those who are searching, God. We pray, Lord, that they will hear the mystery of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and their lives will be totally changed. They will be what, what you call born again of the Spirit of God. Help us to reach the Corneliuses of our world, Lord. Father, we pray today, Lord Jesus, Lord, that we will position ourselves to hear you more. Father, I think we do too much talking and not enough listening. Help us to listen to the Spirit. Father God, today we pray that we will be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. We know that you can do infinitely more than we could even ask or think. And so, Father, today I pray that we will listen to your leading of where you are leading us and taking us. And God, if there are any theological inadequacies in our lives, in our thought process, 
Lord, deal with them. We don't want anything to restrict what you have for us. And so God, today we pray, Lord, that we will have fresh revelations where those areas of Scripture where we may be a little incorrect, that you will reveal to us what is good and perfect and pleasing in your Word. So Father God, today, we want to be obedient to you. We want to listen to your voice. And we want to see people with the heart of Jesus. We ask in your holy name today, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Go this week. Know that the Holy Spirit is with you. He's leading you. He's giving you divine appointments with people. Be open to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And pray for those Corneliuses in your life. God bless you. Have a great week.